most people kind of have a turning point where they're like they see something and they're like oh my gosh space i never had that i don't know i always just remember being obsessed with it since i was little i always wanted to be an astronaut i was in a public school from kindergarten to third grade and i just remember wanting to be an astronaut then and me loving science class and like going home and telling my mom about like all the facts i was learning i thought it was so cool and now that i think about it maybe at the time because I was so young, maybe I thought it wasn't even real. Maybe I thought it was something like Santa, because it's so it's so unrealistic when you think about it. It's like freaking crazy. Maybe I thought it was something like that. And then when I got older, that was the one thing that actually ended up existing still. And so maybe that's why I became so obsessed with it. Lanchen Mahalik, a space resin artist, joins us today to talk about her art and her interest in space, what got her involved in doing space resin art, as well as some of her inspirations. She joins us from the OPT studios, where also Catherine Machen was lurking in the background listening in. This podcast is brought to you by Space and Beyond Box, who brings the universe to your door. The Space and Beyond Box is really cool, and there's several different kinds of boxes, each filled with astronomy and space stuff compiled by the editors of Astronomy Magazine. So here's how it works. You subscribe, and then they will send out one box each quarter throughout the year. And what's really neat is that each box has a different space theme. For example, the first one is called the Moon Box, and has some really cool Apollo 11 stuff in it, and a moon globe, along with other moon items. The Space and Beyond Box will please anyone interested in space, backyard astronomy, and just plain looking up. And they make great gifts. So be sure to check them out on Facebook and Instagram, at Space and Beyond Box. And if you go to their website, spaceandbeyondbox.com slash giveaway, you can enter to win a free one-year subscription or one of five first-year boxes. That's spaceandbeyondbox.com slash giveaway. So check them out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Space Junk, a weekly podcast dedicated to the amazing hobby of amateur astronomy. Each week, we'll bring you interesting and fun discussions with an eye towards providing you with the latest information and advice on the tools, gadgets, software, and techniques for maximizing your enjoyment of the night sky. Your hosts are Tony Darnell from DeepAstronomy.Space and Dustin Gibson from OPT Telescopes, a world leader in telescopes and accessories. Anyway, Lanchin, yes. welcome. Welcome Thank to OPT, you. your first time. Yep. Yeah, That's so cool offices. it's not too far away, though. You're in L.A. Yeah. So it's not, uh, it's not a huge haul for you. No, it was a good drive. But yeah, this is the first time for you. Have you been to other telescope places before, or is this your first time no, in a real my life? First time. Is it? Yeah. So this is um this is the mecca yeah. for for telescope lovers. You know, more <laughs> telescopes in this building probably than anywhere. I know, I it's crazy. I've seen more today than I've seen in my entire life, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's fun. We have a lot of fun here, and we get to do cool things and be around cool people all the time. I mean, just in this room right now right? You're here, you're doing your awesome space work, your space paintings. How's that going? It's going good. I really enjoy it a lot. Yeah. How long <laughs> have you been doing that now? I've been doing acrylic space art for nine years. Oh my gosh, it sounds so long. And you do all acrylic? No, I do acrylic and resin too. Okay. I personally like that better, but I feel like as I've gotten more established, people have gone more towards my acrylic stuff, which is what I started with. But and never got any recognition and now all of a sudden it's like people like that more i don't know what happened I don't yeah <laughs> i know nothing about artwork you know outside of what right. I, I would say like photography counts as artwork but you know not like um actually putting paint on canvas i, I know nothing about that realm at all except for what you and kat machin who's also in this room right now yep. right for one more day <laughs> one more day here at opt yeah we've got uh we've got the the top uh space artist oh in the same gosh. room right now it's pretty oh. crazy stuff pretty crazy stuff and both of you are shy about that why cat's <laughs> not shy cat's no, like no know, she's over here giving me a thumbs she's up not she's like, i don't no. believe it for a second Cat's you know? like i don't know what you're talking about i'm solid i'm <laughs> solid, <She's> so solid. <laughs> <laughs> no but seriously so i don't know anything about like artwork in general I'm surprised because I feel like at, like you shoot astrophotography and people always pour resin on top of that. Yeah. Like prints. So resin is just the like the coating over the top that makes it glossy. Yeah. I think it's like a hard it's like a hard plastic. 
Mm. Yeah, I print all of my stuff on metal, though. You know, it's the only thing I've really cool. I like it because, you know, it, this stuff, especially, uh, you know, space, the paintings do the same thing, but there's so much depth in things in space, you know, the galaxies, they all look three dimensional by default, Mm -hmm. you know, they just, the nature of them makes them look that way. And then nebulae, especially, you know, there's so much depth in something like the horse head or the rosette. It's almost like naturally backlit, you know? And so, um, I feel like when you print something like that, if you do it on metal, it gives it that extra shine and you can really hit it with lights in a certain way and get more out of it. You know, it's very true. Yeah. But why, uh, why acrylic? I feel like don't most people do oils? I honestly don't know how to use oils at all. Really? I attempted to do it and I, uh, I didn't know you had to wait for it to dry for a really long period of time. So I was just like, yeah. doing it. I was like, it just keeps coming out black. <laughs> I was yeah. so confused. I don't know. I don't know how Kat has patience for it because I it takes forever. Do you have to wait like a week for one layer to dry or something stupid like that? I'm so impatient. Yeah, I just, like, three weeks. She said three weeks. Yeah, she painted my um one of my horsehead nebula shots, and she's like, yeah. So in like you know two or three years when this thing dries, like I'm gonna send it out to you. you no know? way. No. <laughs> you're kidding no. that long no oh my no but it does take a long time we were just in um we were at space fest in uh tucson arizona and it's like what? uh it's the biggest collection of like space art i've ever seen it was just all the space artists which has become a really big thing how refreshing is that i've yeah. actually never been to like an art museum where you see space art it's normally not a common thing. Ever. You know, that's true. I don't I don't think I've ever seen it in a museum no. either, uh, which is a real shame. You think about it. Yeah. Because how many fucking fruit baskets have you seen I know, painted? It's so stupid. I don't get the joy yeah. in that. Yeah. I've seen a lot of fruit baskets, but not many nebulae or galaxies or things that give a human perspective. Exactly. I yeah. guess you can gain some kind of perspective from a fruit basket. I don't, I'm not sure what it is. It's just very artistic, I guess. Yeah, is it? I don't know. That's what they call it. Anyway, I've been to like the Broad and saw a dot. It was two million dollars for a what now? A dot. It was just a dot on a white canvas. Yeah. Well, you know that Tony's a professional painter. What? Tony, the other. Tony, you've done a lot of artwork, right? Right. I. I. uh, That was my dot, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So thanks. I'm. I'm glad you liked it. Um. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that was I thought you were serious. <laughs> not about not about the dot thing, obviously, but <laughs> No. No, I'm not an artist. <laughs> okay. I feel like everyone's no. pretty artistic though in their own way. So in their own everyone's way. And I an I am artist. in my own way. No, I tend to sing. Uh no, I'm not doing that. Uh but the <laughs> I would right. love to hear you sing for us right now, Tony. Yes, I'm sure you would, but it's not happening. Mm-hmm. Um Okay. Yeah. I, I tell you who I have a hard time understanding when I go to museums is Jackson Pollock. I don't I don't understand that genre of whatever it is. When I look at a Jackson Pollock painting, it just looks like a mess. And people see, you know, really amazing things in it and purpose and, and intent and a plan. To me, it just looks like you spilled something. So I, I've never understood that. But I, you know, it's one of those things about art, I guess, where I don't have to. It's not there for me to understand. It's just for me to experience. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, Jackson Pollock. I've never really understood it either. I guess it's like trying to get the most out of a bad situation where, you know, you've got your painting that you did and then you have the splatter that happened from painting the actual painting. And you're like, well, the painting didn't sell. So let's make the most of this splatter. And then yeah. you're like, somebody bought it. Somebody yeah, bought this I- thing. So you do it again. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure I just pissed off a lot of art aficionados, oh, but I don't, yeah. I don't get you it. You can't talk you know, about Jackson Pollock. Yeah, I know, you can't man. Talk. Don't, dude. Yeah, but I just, I'm sorry I don't get it. I mean, it, it doesn't resonate. We should have done that when we didn't have an artist in the room because the people that are going to listen to I this know. podcast <laughs> are, you know, I'm art mostly artists. So I know. Yeah. And here I am, here and I am giving I my mean, art critique. Right so. out of the gate, we're talking shit about an artist, and that's yeah, not a you good know, thing. I can't stand, I can't stand that Jackson Pollock, man. He don't make no sense to me. <laughs> I don't yeah, do understand you, you, him. Is that one of your inspirations, Jackson no, Pollock? No. no, I actually don't know who that is. Don't hate me. Oh wow! Should wow. I know? I probably know his work, but I wouldn't know the name. It's the yeah. He's the, a very famous artist. He's huge, millions of dollars. Um, oh yeah. But he he does this paint splatter uh, technique that it's just a bunch of dots and splatter all over the 
canvas. And it's so unique. That's it yeah. It's unique. Um, it's the best euphemism I got. So um, let's let's jump in. Let's talk about space, right? That's why you're here. That's why course, everything yes. around us space. right now. I mean, we've got well, a. That's not because of me. That's because of you. But yeah, we've got a ten foot Andromeda sitting here. We could hit with our elbow, right? That's I mean, it's dope. yeah, it's uh, spaces. No, actually, one of our employees took that. Yeah, that's Andromeda Galaxy. Um, God, I don't know what that. It's got to be nine feet wide, seven feet tall. That's a big Andromeda, but. Yeah, he took that. He's from the pro services department, but beautiful photo. Yeah, but this is. is what we do is space. And that's what drew you in to it's got to be like the art realm, right? I mean, that's yeah. all you paint. It's all I've seen you paint is space stuff. So what uh, what did that? Because everything I've seen you do, like every time you're you're always in like a NASA shirt, you're always painting space and <laughs> you're fully invested in the space. I try to community. rep it. I like I think it's so important that when people meet you, they can kind of tell your personality based on what you're wearing. So that's why I'm always like repping NASA gear. I want people to be like, oh, she likes space because she's wearing a NASA t-shirt. You know what I mean? Yeah. I hope that's not true because I've been <laughs> misrepresenting myself oh for my the God, last why? 30 years. You're wearing an OP t-shirt. I am. I am. It's a, a rare occurrence. I'm trying to do a better job of it. But for a long time, I had like five shirts to my name, you know, and they were all the same. That's they okay. were just... No logo t-shirts that, you know, I'd look for the ones that didn't have holes in them. That was like, that was when I knew I was doing well. Yeah. Anyway, what is it, uh, what is it about space that brings you in? Like, what is it that locked you in? Because if it's such a big part of your life now, Mm -hmm. what, what is it that draws you to that? I feel like, okay, so most people kind of have a turning point where they're like, they see something and they're like, oh my gosh, space. Right. I never had that. I don't know. I always just remember being obsessed with it since I was little. Even as a kid. Yeah, I always wanted to be an astronaut. I was in a public school from kindergarten to third grade. And I just remember wanting to be an astronaut then. Yeah. And me loving science class and like going home and telling my mom about like all the facts I was learning. I thought it was so cool. And now that I think about it, maybe at the time, because I was so young, maybe I thought it wasn't even real. Maybe I thought it was something like Santa because it's so... It's so unrealistic when you think about it. It's like freaking crazy. Maybe I thought it was something like that. And then when I got older, that was the one thing that actually ended up existing still. And so maybe that's why I became so obsessed with it. Yeah. But it's just, it's such like a magical thing to me. And I like love fictional things, but it's the one thing that remains to actually be true. Right. You know well, that I mean? should, that sense? it should honestly be a fictional story. It seems you know, like how big it. it is and just everything. It's like one impossibility after the next that somehow is a nonfiction story. And to some people it is fictional, but well, yeah. <laughs> that's, like, that's yeah. like a new thing. <laughs> well, well, what do you mean by that? Let's dig into that. That's Tony's oh, no. favorite conversation. Oh, why gosh, don't we, no. why don't we dig in? What do you mean? You think that space isn't out there? It's not real? No, some what, people did I ever that? say not that? Me. I never said space no. is never out there. Wait, no, not me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just mean talking about the flat earth yeah, that's and, what I'm and all, all of this that. stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. The reality deniers. Yeah, they're my favorite. Reality. Um, but I think it's a good point what you're saying, you know, and I've never really heard it described that way, but it really is something that's hard to believe is a nonfiction story. It is. It is. You know, like the Big Bang told as a story, you would think, okay, that's really creative. That's a really great you know, somebody was really, you know, really thought about that. Yeah, exactly. They were they were in the zone that day yeah. when they um, when they came up with that. And it's real. I like know. how many things in our life experience are that way that are so far out there that they're, they're hard to even, you know, grapple with the idea that it's an even even could be a possibility. Nothing but it's really. still real. No, there's, I mean, there's really nothing that I could think of, i don't know is there something you could think of that's that crazy no no no, no nothing on that so. scale but that's what keeps me here i mean we talk yeah. about it a lot on this podcast but yeah. for me i you know i'm fascinated by the science and i love listening we get you know we're fortunate in this space that we get to we get to 
uh, reach into both sides of it, right? Like yeah. the the science side, I get to hear every day from some of the people that are very invested. They've invested their entire lives in that, yeah. And they're on the cutting edge of the things that are happening. And we we get to talk to the MITs and Harvard and, and all these these places, and you know, even some of the the private companies. Google is doing huge things. SpaceX doing huge things. Mm-hmm. We get to hear about all this stuff, and the science is so incredible. But you know, I've said it a lot here, but it's not what keeps me here. You know, it's the philosophical side. I love these conversations about um, how it affects human experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, to the point that we made in the beginning about even when you go to the places we've designated, the museums that are designated to kind of highlight the pinnacle of what humans have produced and shared in experience. You don't even see anything about space. I know. You really don't. And that's that's pretty odd considering so the weird. scale. It's so weird. I will say that I disagree up to a point, and that's because my favorite artist is um, Salvador Dali. And I think more than any artist I've ever experienced, uh, his stuff gives you some pretty interesting perspectives. And he does work nature and the universe into some of his paintings. And... So I, I don't think that while there are a lot of fruit bowls and a lot of portraits and, and things like that, uh, between, between artists like uh, Salvador Dali and also uh, uh, Van Gogh to a lesser extent in the sense that he really, only, I think he did Starry Night and that was really about the only one. Mm-hmm. But um, there are some artists out there that, that try. But I think what a lot of these artists are trying to do, and I don't know anything about anything, I'm just talking here, but I, but my, my thinking on this is that, you know, they look at a universe in a bowl of fruit, right? They have a different perspective. They're looking at an apple or a, a landscape, let's say they're painting the, the landscape of Tuscany or whatever it happens to be, uh, and they're finding a universe there in their, in their minds. So... I don't know. I, I guess, yeah, you don't see a picture of a galaxy, but you also need to remember that where a lot of these famous artists lived, they did not know if there were other galaxies. And that, you know, the, the experience through a telescope was one that only a handful of people alive have ever had until basically the 21st century. I mean, well, I'll back that up. The, the 19th century with uh, reflectors that, you know, that, that Herschel would have had and some you know, Kepler and Tycho Brahe, those guys. But up until that point in the history of humanity, a lot of people didn't have a lot of experience looking up other than to see dots in the sky and maybe the sun and the moon, the disks. So I don't want to be too hard on them that everything is a bowl of fruit. But, you know, it's it's uh, I think only recently that artists have had that perspective to even begin with. So you think uh, you think that Starry Night, you know, Van Gogh, he was like the. The original astrophotographer. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think Galileo was because he drew the the Galilean moons uh, in his notebook. Right. Um, that's who I think the original one was. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but I mean, you know, it was interesting. It was an interesting astrophoto for sure. Astro rendering, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I and I don't even know that it's that. I just mean that since, and I guess it's really. Maybe what we're saying is that it should have happened sooner, but it couldn't have because the technology didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Even now, we're seeing every five years, you know, the the realm, the tech, technological leaps, you know, each, you know, five to 10 years make some things that possible that weren't yeah. the, the decade prior. Mm-hmm. You know, like now light pollution isn't nearly the problem it was 10 years ago for people to do photography from their backyards. And so you're getting a lot more images out there on a regular basis. And the quality of images with camera technology getting so good are just going through the roof. Yeah. And and that's a cosmic perspective that we've only gotten in what the last 20 years. I mean, right. You know, that's pretty new. It's hard to critique people, you know, from the time, like, like we're talking about Van Gogh, Van Gogh didn't have anything to draw. He didn't know about Andromeda. He didn't know about, you know, the Whirlpool or the Rosette Nebula. There was none of this there. So we're like, why didn't they paint this? And why isn't it at the museum? It didn't exist. Okay, that's true. They didn't didn't even know there were other galaxies. You know what he had? He had Starry Night. He had a town and he had a couple stars above it. That's still close enough. And he painted the hell out of it. It was so good, right? It's so good. So, you know. Maybe we we shouldn't be too uh, 
Right. And and I think that's what's happening. Now that it is out there, now that these images do exist and that perspective is available, mm-hmm. right, which is an interesting thought in itself, yeah. that new perspectives become available through technology. But now that it's available, there are artists popping up and doing amazing things, mm-hmm. you and Kat both included in that, and giving people a new way to appreciate even art, like art itself is evolving because of the technology. Yeah. Do you feel like, um, do you feel like, like, is that where you draw your inspiration from? I guess is the way to ask the question. Do you look at astrophotos and do that? Or do you just create it from your mind? I just create it from my mind. And how do you get, um, like, where does that start? Like, do you just wake up and you're like, I know what this is going to look like. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So it's just already there. Yeah, I like have an idea of what I want it to look like and the colors I want to use. Do you on, like I always choose colors based on like experiences. Like if something crazy is happening, I'm like, oh, my gosh, wait, these colors. go. Oh, that sounds so weird. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to explain that. that. I don't know so what that means. Weird. Oh my yeah, I don't know what that means. Explain. I sound like a crazy person. Um, if I'm like having some crazy experience, some memorable time, I always take the colors away from that situation. So like a, and then I'll create a, a piece from it. So like a a bird flies into your car window, and you're like, "Ooh, that's this shade of green." <laughs> that experience yes. is this shade of green, and that's where yeah, you start. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah, like that. So that that makes sense. Okay, make all right. Sense. Okay, yeah, I'm learning. You know how th- I don't know? They say that like feelings and stuff come in colors. Have you ever heard that before? You get colors from situations. It sounds really no, funny. but I don't really have the artistic uh what's the word capacity maybe that i think a lot of artists do so no i don't i don't think that i see you know some people can sit down with a piece of paper and they can have something in their mind and create that yeah right or even just work through the process and see it like they can see the evolution of this image before it happens Mm -hmm. i can't do that even watching someone else do it yeah. I can't see it until I see it. Like it has to be there completed for me to appreciate it or understand it. Yeah. Some people don't work that way. And so I just think that my mind doesn't work that way. So no, I don't, I can honestly say I don't see my experiences in color. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't know really what that means. You know how when people say you see red when you're angry? Sure. It's kind of like that sort of thing. Okay. Based on like feelings that you're feeling and the color, the colors that come to mind. You notice how quiet Tony went when we started talking about this. <laughs> like if you're sad, people think of blue. Do you know what I'm saying? Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. And when you, you know, uh, oranges and red, or well, I should say oranges and yellows are more, I think, reminiscent of warmth and hearth and those yeah. kinds of things. Yeah, and comfort. exactly. Sure, I know what you're talking about. I I don't necessarily experience it quite that way, um, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what do you mean? I I got quiet. What did you think? I was scared. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know. I yeah, felt like yeah. I was I was walking into the deep end on a you know a topic I didn't understand. So you know I was. <laughs> yeah. I thought Tony's going to leave me out here to drown, man. I didn't know. Tony, Tony's yeah. bailing on me. No, I was just listening to what you were saying about the uh, about about you know the the emotional aspect of of making these colors right. happen, and <laughs> I guess when it comes to looking at the the stars and looking at objects in space, for me, I think you know the emotions just happen to be with with it isn't even the image itself I'm looking at or the colors that it has. It is I need to know how that picture was taken, and uh, the, the example I always get give is one of the Hubble Deep Field because the Hubble Deep Field, if you look at it, it's nothing remarkable. It's not even a pretty astrophoto. It's just a bunch of blobs on a on a on an image. But it's when you think about how that image was taken that you become to appreciate that that's probably one of the most important things I've ever looked at. And I say that because this is an area they went astronomers went out of their way to point the Hubble Space Telescope at an area of sky where there was nothing known to exist. There was no stars. There were, you know, it was just a blank spot in space. And they stared at it for 11 days with one of the most expensive telescopes ever put in orbit. And when they processed the data, out came an image with thousands of galaxies in it. And when you realize that every smear, every dot, every smudge on that image was a galaxy, that to me is emotional. And so when I look at an astrophoto, it's it's important to me to know what it is I'm looking at, the context of that 
of that galaxy or that nebula. Here's a nebula that's, you know, a few hundred light years away, or this is a, this is how our sun is going to die. Then I get emotional. Um, and then the beauty is derived from that. The beauty and the, the emotional response is all derived from the perspective or the, the context that that image was taken. And so I don't know, that's how I think about it. Now that you say that though, if you look at something and you don't know what you're looking at, you just, it means nothing. Kind I of. know that's right. And that's a problem. So that's why you need to, yeah, that's why I would, it, I would find out more about what it is I'm looking at, uh, to try and get that context. You know, that's, um, <clears throat> that's an interesting point that if you can't understand what it is you're seeing, it can't really have an emotional impact on you. Like yeah. you have to, at least in some, at some level, understand what it is you're looking at yeah. to appreciate it. And so really that, that, uh, makes astronomy unique in a way because it's very complex. Astronomy is very complex. And, um, you know, on both sides, I'd say there, there's really not a way to approach astronomy and, um, you know, feel like, like there's like, it's, it's just a simple, you know, hobby or, or whatever. I mean, you can obviously take chunks of it and make them very simple and enjoy them in simple ways, like going out and just looking up at the sky. I think that's a very simplified way to enjoy astronomy and one that can yeah. be very rewarding and fulfilling. And, you know, I know people that just, they just want to learn the night sky and they, they have a lot of enjoyment doing that, yeah. going out and just learning the constellations. And, you know, they do that with their families. And that, I think that's awesome. But there's always a deeper way to do whatever it is you're doing. You know, yeah. it's like, like when you're talking about looking at the Hubble deep field. Yeah. I mean, that's supposed to be nothing, Tony. It's supposed <laughs> to be nothing right there. And then you're yeah. like, you say, and there's your context. Yeah. Yeah. There's your context. So like you can always look deeper and the more you do take the time on at whichever level it is you're into astronomy to get involved in it, the more you are going to understand it. Mm -hmm. And if what we're saying is true right now, that understanding something opens the door to appreciate it, then it's got to be the deepest pool in human existence <laughs> I think that or in human knowledge. Everything. Yeah. Now that I think about it, yeah. yeah. It also may be why we don't see lots of these images in museums, right? I mean, this, this, this context isn't easy to come by and maybe artists aren't exposed to it enough. I don't know. I mean, maybe, yeah. you know, Lynch and you can comment on that, but you know, the, the exposure of the artists that's going to create these works of space perhaps don't know what it is they're looking at to be able to paint it. And I think that's maybe crucial. I don't know. We'll take the, like, let's take the CMB. I would say that for most people, the cosmic microwave background that should be that should be an emotional experience seeing that because what we're seeing is the beginning of the universe yeah right that should be an emotional experience for people to know not where we came from where everything everything came from yeah but if you look at it we actually joked about it with with one of the scientists here whose job it is to study we're like you took the ugliest picture ever taken it's of the cmb it's just <laughs> it's like just these it's a heat map yeah it's a heat map <laughs> these like super blurry, boring, like splotches. He said it looks like a rash, you oh know? My and so, you know, it would be the something. cosmic rash. Yeah, the cosmic rash. It should be something that's in a museum. You know, this is the beginning of everything, mm -hmm. but you can't put it in the museum without also attaching a 30 minute documentary to it saying, here's what you're looking at so that you can appreciate it. Well, they normally put I don't like know. a Jackson little Pollock thing. didn't provide any videos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he drew the CMB and sold it for $2 million. That's right. That's what he was doing. Oh, see how brilliant he was. He even surpassed my yes. Okay. I now appreciate Jackson. Pollock. So do I. Man. <laughs> we just didn't know. This whole time, this whole time. Yeah. He's a fucking CMB creator. Now. That's what he's doing. <laughs> what an astrophysicist that guy was. That's right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but I think that that's kind of the thing. And so a lot of people, so the recently you, you saw like all the images of the first, the first image ever of a black hole. Yeah. Did you see that circulating? I mean, course, I feel like yeah. it broke Instagram. It's circulating. Yeah. Fast. It was just. You weren't impressed though. Me? No, D Dustin wasn't impressed. Oh. Yeah, he was like, what is this fuzzy thing here? I was joking, man. I was joking. <laughs> I was like, now? I was just like, I don't feel like they had very good yeah. guiding. This thing's kind of blurry. <laughs> <Yeah. you know? laughs> 
I could have taken a better photo of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Did, no, did I was you guys just have your focus. Yeah. You guys are out of focus. Why didn't you focus the camera? <laughs> we could have hooked you up with like an optech focuser or something. You <laughs> should reach out. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck, man? <laughs> we could have at least gotten you a solid optech focuser on there or something to, you know, you can autofocus that, you, you know? But <laughs> you guys can pick that. Yeah, you could, but no, we were just we were joking about it. But it's it's really it's another one of those images that I feel like if you don't know what you're looking at, it's like why are you showing me this blurry, boring exactly. image of nothing? Yeah. So what's the response to your images when you post? Because you have a huge following on Instagram. What's what's the response? What are people saying to you about your images that you're producing? Um, they just say that they like really like the colors and what I do, but they always write oh oh yeah. yeah. People always comment on like the color combination and like my techniques really. But then I get like private messages about like what inspires me and how much people love space and they appreciate that I'm doing that artwork. So it's always like good responses. I'm surprised that people appreciate it because I didn't think they would because it's such like a small niche, even though now I feel like it's more popular. Yeah, it's yeah, you're right. It's definitely it's something that's now circulating more like galaxy art. I think Which all of I it, like. the, I the photography, it. the art, all of yeah, it is growing, it is. you know, exponentially it's because great. the more you share it, the more you get people interested, the more they yeah. understand it, the more they want to do it. And it just, it explodes. Yeah. And so that's probably, I mean, you got this huge following in no time at all, right? Like it's pretty explosive. I mean, I stopped posting for seven years mm-hmm. and then I discovered resin art. Okay. And I was like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So then once I did it, it actually like took off like immediately. And I was so shocked. I was like, what? I've yeah. been doing this the whole time. You just you found your niche. Yeah. You found yeah. your thing. Yeah. But I was still painting acrylic that entire time. Right. I just wasn't posting about it anymore because I like felt discouraged. And I was just like, I don't know. There's so many other people out there that are better than me that are doing this. They should be doing it. But no one was doing Galaxy Resin Art when I started. So I somehow got really lucky discovering that. So who do you look up to? Like what, what inspires your artwork? So the first, she, she already knows this because I tagged her in the video. Um, okay. So the first person is Sarah Caldell mm-hmm. and she's a beach resin artist. And that's the only reason I ever started resin art because of her. I think she like followed me on my personal page, actually, okay. not even like my art page. Right. And I thought she was taking photos of the beach like aerial photography. Yeah. And I realized it was resin art. And I was like, what the heck is this? I've never seen this. Right. And so I wrote her about it and I asked if it would be a good idea to try it as a galaxy, if that would be possible. She was like, yeah, that sounds really cool. You should do that. So I prepared for like six months and got like a little studio to pour in and decided I was going to fully invest myself in making galaxy resin art. And prior to even doing that, I was researching if it had been done because I wanted to do something that unique. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Because the acrylic stuff, everyone had done it and I felt like that's why it just wasn't nothing was happening with it. Yeah. Yeah. So I looked up to her a lot because she got me started with that and she helped me out so much. And not only that, she her story is so insane. She was like working for this jewelry company, really high paid position designing jewelry and decided she wasn't happy and just quit, moved to Hawaii and started pursuing her passion and beach art. And it took mm. off. And I just, oh, gosh, I appreciate when people do that so much. It's funny how often we hear stories like that. It's kind of I think you had a similar story, too. Yeah, where You just like a took a risk in the universe. Yeah. was just like here you go. So yeah. I, I don't know. I love when people do that and they like invest into their passions and it works out. And then the second person is Kat. And I just look up to her so much because I mean, her artwork's amazing. First of all, um, I don't think she's that good. Really? No. Yeah, you're right. She's okay. Yeah. I don't think no, obviously Kat is like, <laughs> you know, insane. what's her name again? I, I, she's I insane, dude. Yeah. Oh my gosh. She's the only galaxy artist I look up to. Yeah. Um, I have to make that. I had to make that note. Um, but it she's done so much, right? Mm-hmm. You were a DJ, you were a pilot, you were a video game designer. I don't think I've ever known someone that's achieved so much in their life in such a short amount of time and has been really good at it, except Dustin. <laughs> 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 and has been so good at it and just like you I don't know, you've done so much. So every time also, also, another thing is 
she always expands on ideas within mm. that's all space related, which I think is great because space is such a great theme to feed off of. There's so many different things you can create based on that. So it's not just painting for her. Like she's doing everything. Yeah. She's doing like a bunch of different things. Right. And every time I'm like, oh, I kind of want to do this. I always think of her and I'm like, she would do it. She would do it. Just yeah. Do it. <laughs> yeah. Just do it. Yeah. You know, we, uh, we had to do quite a bit of traveling here uh, recently. We had to go do some talks out in Pennsylvania and, yeah. um, uh, Arizona and things like that. And I was amazed just even being on the plane, watching these messages roll through for her, how much of it is other people. So the direct messages in it, and I'm curious if you get the same thing, but people asking, for inspiration directly like in asking almost like it almost seems like permission that they need from someone and i don't know if it's because of the level of success that you guys have kind of um you know made for yourselves or, or whatever but it was just like give me a reason to go after this for myself like give me the reason that i can do this like say that i can do this cat you know and cat is like very inspiring to people and spends a ton of time. I was actually amazed at how much of her day is dedicated to just helping people pursue their own passions, not even related yeah. to her business, but it's a, a huge chunk of her time. I mean, we're talking huge, huge chunk of her work day that's actually spent not on her own work, but trying to help other people pursue yeah. their own passions. Do you kind of have the same thing going with your direct messages? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that goes hand in hand. And the great thing about being an artist is I feel like the art community artists actually mm -hmm. support each other. Maybe yeah. not all of them. It surprises me. It's, it's got to be. most of them do. And yeah. it's so great because you don't really see that in any other field. And usually in niche spaces, because it's a small community, it can be very competitive. It's really not. No, it's, it's really just supportive, not. huh? Yeah, I've had one one girl that was doing galaxy resin art after me and she blocked me and we i thought we were friends and all of a sudden i was blocked one day and i was so hurt i was like but i like really liked your stuff and we like talked and you know, i thought it was so weird she was the only person i've come across that did galaxy art that i don't know guess wasn't was very i don't know what she was competitive i don't know i guess competitive well, i maybe... don't want to say it like that but everyone else has been great everyone's so helpful yeah i could write any artist it doesn't matter like they're following or anything. They'll always reply. I just mm. think it goes hand in hand. Like it's not really a selfish passion. Right. Because you're able to help people in the process and you want everyone to create and like find their thing. Do you enjoy the art side of it more or the experience? I like, do you like to be out under the night sky more? Do you do you get more of that from looking at artwork like cats and other people's and your own? Which side of that do you connect with more? Um, I like to do both. Yeah. Yeah. I like to do both. Anything that's like space related star parties. I always like looking that up and I'll just go. It's just fun. Anything that's space related. I'm there. Mm -hmm. Always. What about the science side of it? Are you drawn to that at all? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Right. I mean, that's probably the most important part kind of explains our existence a lot. So I don't know. I guess most people don't really know. I mean, they should. They don't really know about all that. But most of the facts are just so insane. It's like, how could you not be drawn to that aspect of it? You're after Tony's heart right now saying stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. There's just so many crazy things. <laughs> well, Lynch, and I have a question for you. Listening to you talk about this, I I don't know what resin art is. And I wonder if you could describe for me and our listeners, what what is it? What What's the process? So resin art, um, correct me if I'm, I will, I, I'm pretty sure it's a hard plastic. This is what I always describe it as. It's like a hard plastic. And um, you just mix two components together. It's a liquid. And over the course of a day, it dries and hardens. So it's super shiny and glossy. And it looks like water. It looks like it's wet always. It's kind of what you see. So it's see. a two-part chemical that you mix together and then it hardens? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then for my pieces, though, you can mix pigments with it. You can mix powders, uh, acrylic, and is that to polish, literally anything you is it to really give it the shine or like to give it texture because i know a lot of those paintings like they feel you know like they've got grooves in them and you can kind of that's for like isn't that oil i i don't know <laughs> i don't know anything about this so resin just makes it completely flat okay yeah okay so resin is but not textured it's just no. the shine then that it gives it okay yeah and i like it specifically for galaxy art because it looks like you're looking at a photo okay and people have told me they actually don't like it because it looks too much like a photo and a painting looks more like art. I don't really get that. 
I think the depth looks really cool personally. Yeah. Well, but you know, that's just the nature of art though, right? It's completely, yeah. it's entirely subjective by its own nature. That's what's great about it. So yeah, some people appreciate it and some people will, you know, be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So do you embed the, the pigments in the, uh, in the mixture as it's hardening and then you, you shape the galaxy while it's still wet or do you wet, let it get hard and then paint on it? Help us help okay, me visualize okay. the process. So, um, I mix acrylic with it while it's still wet and then I pour it onto my pieces while it's wet and then I just kind of like maneuver it and then let it. So dry. you're shaping it while it's still, uh, while it's still hardening, or at least it's while it's still liquid. Yeah. And then, and then you let it sit once you've gotten the form that you want in the pigments yeah. that you've added. Exactly. Wow. And it takes, it dries within like 30 minutes, which is really unfortunate. Oh, so you got to move. You're on a, you're on a, you're on the clock. Yeah. It's really unfortunate. Cause like I've done bigger pieces and it is so hard to complete in one sitting and actually get the desired look. Oh, it's so hard. So you start with smaller segments and then put them together later. If it's a big piece, I'll try to complete the whole thing and cover the whole thing. But you you kind of have to cover the whole thing because if it dries, when you pour over it later, it'll be uneven. So you just kind of got it. You could just, you're a little crunched on time, but it's possible. I've seen people do pretty big pieces, but they always have like six people helping them. I don't have anyone to help me, <laughs> but it's possible to get done. And I think bigger pieces are really freaking cool, especially resin art because... Oh, the bigger, the better. Definitely. So where could people go to see some of the stuff you've done? What's your Instagram account? Uh, my Instagram is at Lanchin Designs. And I also have an Etsy shop as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Same it's same name. Is that how they find it? Lanchin Designs. Yeah. And then I started a YouTube channel too where I do tutorials. Yeah, you've been doing a lot of those. A lot yeah. of the tutorials and things. What's your YouTube channel called? It's just Lanchin. It's just my name. L-A-N-C-H-E-N. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's awesome stuff. And I mean, I don't think it's a surprise that so many people, I mean, tens of thousands of people are looking at that, you know, on daily, you have daily followers, like over 20,000 people or something. It's uh, it's substantial. Then I think it's going to continue to grow. I really think the entire, that entire side of the industry, you know, that entire niche of it is going to grow. I think yeah. the more you start to share these things, the more people can appreciate it and understand it. It probably starts with understanding it and then appreciating it. Mm -hmm. And um, the more they appreciate it, the more they want to get involved themselves. But yeah. we see a lot of people moving into that. And on the photography side, I can tell you, I've never seen um, as many people getting into something as quickly as I have astrophotography. I mean, in, when I started, it had to be probably four years ago, five years ago, I took my first photo mm -hmm. and I felt like it was this thing that nobody was really into. Like even looking for information online, I just couldn't find anything anywhere. Yeah. And so there were so many pitfalls and it was one of the, like the jokes in the hobby was just like, well, you're going to buy a lot of the wrong stuff. You're going to have a lot of nights that are wasted. You're going to spend a lot of money that you can't use anything with, and then you'll get a bad image, you know? <laughs> and so- you know, um, it was just that way. I mean, we actually went and secret shopped one of our competitors out in New York and we asked them, how do you do astrophotography? And they said, you can go to OPT, which we loved to hear. You can call them. <laughs> but what you should expect if you're really going to try to do astrophotography without help is to spend $10,000 and in the end still just go online and look at Hubble images because you can't get anything. We were like, this is the best secret shopping ever. I hope this whoever this guy is never quits. Oh my gosh! Right, that's <laughs> oh my god, that is excellent. But you know, I think that it wasn't his perspective. It was a lot of people's. It was something that was very challenging. There was no information out there, mm -hmm. and then Instagram kind of happened yeah. with people, and you started seeing a lot of not deep space photos, but you started seeing a lot of. Um, Milky Way photos. Yeah. Because you can shoot that off the hood of your car mm -hmm. with any DSLR or just mirrorless camera. Yeah. And now, even with phones, which I is know, crazy. You can do long exposures on the yeah, iPhone. it's it's crazy. The iPhone and then the Pixel and all these cameras that are really, really great at low light. It's amazing that you can do this stuff so easily. And um, you know, I feel like it's getting more and more simple for people, which opens the door wider and wider for people. And then the, the more that door opens, the more people doing it, which means more people sharing it, more people seeing it. Mm -hmm. And then obviously the next thing is more people interested in it because they've seen it. Yeah. And so it's just this positive feedback loop 
that feeds the hobby and gets, you know, and that's what's happened. Yeah. Five years ago, you didn't have many people doing it. Now it's everywhere. And because it's everywhere, you know, the business grows because the camera companies and the mount companies and all of these are being fed and they're being, you know, they have demand so they can keep innovating and that innovation drives more interest. And it really is this insane positive feedback loop that's so healthy for the industry and for the hobby. And I think honestly for people, because you get more people talking about space and less people talking about, you know, their fucking Kardashians. Yeah. Yeah, stuff like that, you know? <laughs> Who won the football game? What are you talking about, man? It helps us evolve more. People are more curious know. about the universe. Yeah, I mean, I think it's cool. I think whatever the hobby is, that's cool. Have an interest. But if I can have a conversation about the Kardashians or conversations about outer space, like, it's a pretty easy choice for me. Yeah. You know, put Some the, put the Kardashians that, in outer space and I'll, I'll care. <laughs> Actually, that's so funny you said that because <laughs> my friend said the same thing. Really? Yeah, he was like, why don't we put them in space Yeah, and have them put their show there and I would watch it. Yeah. <laughs> that is so uh-huh. weird you just said that. I'm sure Elon will give him a space in his rocket. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, oh yeah, that's a, well, that's, a, you bring up an interesting point, Dustin, because this is something we've talked about on the, on the podcast many times about these activities like astrophotography, like being an artist or one of these bridge activities that get people into astronomy in sort of an oblique way. In the case of astrophotography, they just want to take cool images. They want some kind of photographic challenge. And so they get a lot of equipment and take these amazing pictures of the galaxies and nebulae that are up there. And then it's impossible once you've started that to not learn about what it is you're imaging, what it is you're looking at. And so, um, Lynch, and I wanted to ask you in the course of doing your artwork, you know, doing your sharing on Instagram and your Etsy store and all the things that you're doing to that, that people from the outside are coming in to find your stuff. How would you characterize those people? Uh, would you characterize them as people who were already space enthusiasts or are these people who don't know much about space before seeing your stuff, but maybe getting introduced to it through your artwork? Um, I'd say a mixture of both, but definitely people that are already interested in space. Definitely. With your primary audience? Yeah, I would have to say so. You don't get a lot of messages saying like, I really, this has inspired me to move into this or this has gotten me interested in space. Do you get a lot of that? I've gotten like, yeah, this has gotten me interested in space, but I actually had someone write me the other day saying, because I used you as an inspiration, my art has grown within the past three months and they started doing like galaxy art. Mm. So I, I guess I've gotten stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But are they actually that, interested in space outside of just it being an art form? I honestly don't know. I would say yeah. yes, because as Dustin pointed out in previous <laughs> episodes, it's impossible not to yeah. not to see this stuff and just go, you know what? This is you know, no one's ever saying this is really boring. <laughs> space sucks, you know. Hopefully once not. they once yeah. they get started, it's <laughs> Yeah. It gets in your blood. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, it, really, it really does. I feel like that with the the work that you and, and Kat Machen and, and others are like like you know artists like you guys are bringing in people in ways to that wouldn't ordinarily have a channel to see this stuff and so i'm really grateful for the explosion of space artists and also in the hobby of astrophotography because i think that does the same thing as dustin was pointing out it's you know this equipment is drawing people in and then they stay you know they stay for the science they stay for the universe you know they come for the equipment and the cool images but they stay for the perspective and that's you know that i don't know many many places where that happens many hobbies where that's true and that's actually why we do i mean this podcast in general but why we have guests like you here as well i mean i don't know if you look around this building you probably won't find many paintbrushes it's not it's not what we do right and so i've had a few people ask me you know back when we did cats first uh first podcast was you know well why are you bringing space artists in that's not astrophotography but I think it's all really the same thing. It's an appreciation of one thing that unites all of us. Yeah. And that that unification is what this is about, that, uh, that experience. I think it's a small jump from there into the little, you know, the little sections of the hobby that we found. Yeah. It's a small leap. But the big leap is going from not understanding what it is that's above us every night while we sleep to, you know, getting into our, you know, getting out of our daily lives. Like that's a big jump is going from daily life and the things that are right in front of us all the time mm-hmm. to making this something that carries value in yeah. our life. 
that's a big one. And I think we've all made that leap yeah. or else we wouldn't be here. Yeah. And I think that's what, you know, kind of unifies everybody in this hobby. And it's one that I've seen. There's a lot of strength in that unification. Mm -hmm. You know, we once people connect in this hobby, they very rarely just part ways and say, you know, like the person that blocked you. That's not that's not a story I hear often. Usually people that get connected through this hobby, whichever, you know, part of it they're in, it really doesn't matter. They they stay connected and they kind of like share that appreciation fairly deeply. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's something that can be extremely, if not the most unifying experience for humanity. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of bigger than all of our small problems. It is. But the people here like you, you're still a creative. So it's not, it's sure. not like that far off an artist being here because you shoot astrophotography. Well, no, that's it's, still, it's an interpretation. That's like art. It's an art form. It really is. Yeah. And I, I love, I mean, if it's clear outside, I'm running the observatories or I'm setting up equipment. I mean, we'll be setting up equipment for the staff tonight here in the parking lot. Yeah. We're always, always imaging. And I think I always will. Once I found it, I feel like I found my thing. This is what I love to do. That's how I feel. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's a great feeling. Right? Yeah, it is. It is. Because I never really had that. I had other hobbies. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I played sports growing up and I, I loved it. I did it all day, every day. And it was my thing. And then, you know, I played the drums. So I was like all, all about that. And I loved it. But it was a very different thing. Like there's, there are things that you can do and you can spend your time doing and find enjoyment. And I know a lot of people find that with like video games or yeah. whatever. But then there are other things that you can spend the same time doing that actually feel like it becomes part of your identity. That and it's like beneficial to your mm -hmm. life experience. Right. <laughs> You're like learning stuff in the process. Yeah. 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 And not just not just bringing in outside information, but actually learning about yourself. Mm hmm. You know, yeah. and that's something that I think space does as well as anything else I've ever experienced, if not better. And to the question of, you know, these imagers or these these artists uh, not being astrophotographers, I would I would venture that it's that it is the same because they are just interpretations of what's being imaged up in space by, you know, astrophotographers. For example, when I cat I, just released uh, an image of the Horsehead Nebula that was based on the infrared image that Hubble took uh, of that same object. And I remember when that came out. I remember when Hubble released that image as an anniversary image. And they, along with that release, they also included the visible light uh, image that, that Hubble had taken prior. And then they made a, a, a crossfade between the two. So you could see between visible light and the infrared light that, that was in the horse head. And then I saw cat's rendering of that same image and it was a completely enriching experience of that very same nebula and i would love to see a crossfade between the uh the visible light to the infrared light to catmations because it was it, it was it was it was more cats was very human it had a human element it had a texture to it that i i can't put my finger on but it was and that's the thing about all of cats art that that it's very full of texture that's just draws you in you know it was her interpretation i would put her image of the horsehead nebula up against anything hubble can produce uh, or any astrophotographer for that matter because it is a rendering that that is unlike you know it is just as true uh, to as what anybody else could put out on a piece of film or on a piece of uh, uh ccd uh image plane so i don't know i mean i i would i would take issue with that that concept that you know artists aren't astrophotography you know it's not the same i disagree with that yeah yeah I'd, I'd agree i thought her image her rendering was decent well it was you yeah. know it was just like it was, it was all right it was all right it was an all right, it was all right. Yeah. yeah i mean yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know. well, one to ten it was it was decent yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no but is she but, there yeah she's, at she's like three feet from me right now yeah yeah looking at me like oh man there it is there it is um so what's uh what's the the business side of it like is it is it challenging is it challenging making um you know because it's not it's not the kind of thing people are used to seeing in museums it's not yeah. you know so you you're training people that this is something to appreciate does that make it challenging to create this as a business for yourself um I mean, 
because I've been doing it for so long, yeah, I definitely felt like it was really challenging. But at this point, mm-hmm. I feel like I've attracted all the right people that love it as much as I do. So right. now I feel like it's a lot easier. What would what you say was. to people? What would you say to people that don't have that? Because you've established yourself, but a lot of people haven't. So they're they're sitting there. They don't have you know tens of thousands of people looking. They don't have clients that are ready to buy their next painting. Yeah. What do they do? How do they get involved in something that still is underappreciated? You just got to keep at it. Yeah, really. I was doing something that was underappreciated for so long, but I didn't yeah. stop. But I honestly think it was just all all about timing. And maybe I wasn't ready yet. Right. I wasn't at the best that I could be. And if maybe if it got attention back then, I would have stopped growing in my art. So I think I, there's always like a positive outlook for me. What do, what do you mean you would have stopped growing? Maybe I wouldn't have. My artwork would have just sat at a yeah. standstill and i would have thought because oh, you'd have had what you needed anymore yeah i don't need to try like but no sure. because i did for so long it was like painting like three times a week for the past like nine years <laughs> and i wasn't even like selling anything i would just paint it and i'd paint over the same thing and i was like i want to be amazing at this i still i still don't think i'm amazing at it i'm still learning so much but I think if you're passionate about anything, isn't that the nature of artists no though? Following. Isn't that the nature of artists? Yourself. Like no artist in the world's ever like, Oh, I'm just completely happy with where my painting is. Except cat. Yeah. Well, I think even, I know actually, <laughs> I know from, from just being around cat so much that even like all the time cats like, Oh, I can do this. I can do this better. I can like, I can really blow this out. Like it's a constant push to be better all the time, all the time. You have to do that though. Yeah. Yeah, so you, you have think, to keep growing and evolving. It's so important. I think that's one of the healthy things about artists that don't like to talk a lot about the things they're doing. You know, in and in the conversations I've had with several, actually, it's um, the idea is that, and it's not just art; it's business; it's a lot of things. But people that don't talk about the things they're doing until they do them, it's yeah. not to keep the rest of the world out like there's some kind of threat. It's that you don't want to give yourself the benefit of the lift to your ego and the lift to your accomplishment until you've actually achieved it, you know, and a lot of, because once you have that, why continue? Yeah. You know, if you've already got the reason, like you've already, and if you, if that's part of the reason that people do something, which I think it'd it'd be foolish to say, it's not part of the reason for people. And you're already giving yourself that, but you're kind of taking it on credit from yourself. Like, Mm -hmm. well, I'm already getting people to say, oh, how cool you're going to do this. But you've already got the benefit of that. Like, do you really have the same desire to push hard to get it done? And I think for some people, it might be yes. But for a lot of people, it's no. So they just don't talk about things until they do them. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's smart to talk about things if you're not going to do it. Plus, sometimes it's awesome (laughs) to just drop it on the world. Like, look what I did. Surprise. Yeah, Yeah, here it is. You know, I... uh... I had this this grand idea that I was going to do that. I was going to take the longest image ever of um, the uh, Helix Nebula. I was going to do 90 hours on this thing. Mm-hmm. And I did. I did 90 hours on it with the whole idea being like, I'm not going to talk about this until that 90 hours is complete. Then I'm going to edit this and just drop it in my normal feed. Like, oh, just another normal image, guys. You know, no big deal. 90 hours later. <laughs> And um, so I did all of the work and I didn't talk about it. And then I um, I got all of this data and I realized, so I crashed my computer because I had all of these images, 90 hours. And it was like, it was like, <laughs> like a terabyte and a half of data, you know, so my computer couldn't even handle it. Oh so gosh. then I was like trying to process like 20 hours and 20 hours and then combine those two and it wasn't really working. And so then in the end, I just got an image that was like, barely better than my other you know like 20 hour images and (laughs) i just messed the whole thing up you know so it kind of backfired but um had the idea right idea just bad execution you You know still do it but no i I still did it and i still got all the data and i keep i keep telling myself like i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna process that data but i feel like i gotta get um i gotta get situated with something because the the problem is the file sizes on astrophotography are so big i know so big because those cameras you know a lot of them 50 megapixels. Yeah. So you start taking 90 hours of images. I mean, you've got hundreds of images at 50 megapixels all stacked together. And then you get these massive files and you're talking weeks of processing. Mm-hmm. But um, it's cool when they come out. And even that one, like I'm, I'm super happy with how it came out. You know, it looks like yeah. the giant eye in the sky, the big helix nebula. But um, it was a project and a half. But that's what happens, right? Those are the fun ones. Yeah. Ones that are these grand ideas and they're really challenging. And, yeah. You know, 
I mean, it's probably good that you didn't talk about it though, because it didn't. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Tomorrow, and everyone's yeah. so you know excited, I mean? and then you're like, "I'm yeah, so oh, sorry." Yeah, listen to listen to Dustin talking about his image. Ninety yeah. hours. Yeah, wait till what you guys see tomorrow, and then like six months yeah. later, I'm still trying to process the same image, and it's coming out like garbage. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Yeah, <laughs> it's coming, guys. Just hold on one more day. It's been fun. And the long, the long exposure stuff is the stuff that keeps me there. Like, I love that stuff. Really putting a lot of time into an image and seeing how much of the faint detail you can pull out of something, you know. Yeah. But um, I, I enjoy that part of the hobby. And it takes a lot of time, but, you know, it's, it's worth it. It's fun. Well, the camera or the photos you capture are insane compared to anything I've ever taken a photo of. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> have you done astrophotography yourself like have you done any like yeah. deep space no not deep space no okay mm -mm. just like milky way stuff yeah just milky way stuff i always like every time i go camping i always like shoot at night yeah and how do you enjoy that process i love it you just like set up on a I tripod love, and, yeah yeah i right. love long exposures any shooting at night it's so much better than shooting during the day because if you're like shooting a mountain you mm -hmm. can make it look like it's daytime it's so crazy because you can't see that with your natural eye yeah it's freaking nuts. Like it'll look daytime and then all of a sudden there's stars in the sky. Yeah. It's nuts. Right. That's it. exactly what it does. Yeah. You, you take a long enough exposure and it really does look like daytime with stars in the sky. Yeah. It looks so sick. Strange. So sick. And you have to think like how much of that is lit by the starlight or the moonlight or whatever it is. You're capturing all that light and it's yeah. lighting up the entire, you know, uh, landscape around you. Yeah. It's fun when you're with people that don't ever shoot long exposures and then they'll look at your camera and see what it is mm -hmm. they're like wait why does it look like it's daytime it's hard to understand so like why and right like, well that's what a long exposure is yeah they have no idea they have never seen it it's really hard to understand you know your eye is refocus or capturing exposures but they're like one sixtieth of a second so it's 60 exposures every second yeah and then you set your camera to capture, say, let's a minute. Mm -hmm. Think about how many exposures that is that it's capturing and then basically combining all of that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can do a lot longer than one minute, you know. So like I was just saying, my exposure was 90 hours. So you think about how much light that's grabbing. Nice. And that's why it lights everything up, you know. But yeah. that's why you can get this faint detail from deep outer space as well. God, wouldn't that be cool to be able to have a retina where you could like – Okay, I want to stack some, some uh, you know, eight-second exposures here so I can see the Orion Nebula or the Andromeda Galaxy. That'd be yeah. awesome. That would be so <laughs> sick. Oh. I, would, I would order that. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming, I'm sure. A new invention's coming. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because unfortunately, our retina doesn't, doesn't accumulate. It just, you know, like you said, it was just a fraction of a second, and that's all we get. So not much light gets in that way. Mm -hmm. It's more dependent, I guess, on our iris. Uh, our iris diameter well uh lanchon is there anything you can tell us about that you're working on that you want to talk about that's coming up or uh would you rather stay mom on that uh no i can talk about it i'm currently just working on christmas stuff christmas stuff <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah working on christmas stuff and uh i'm also working on a six foot piece and i'm really excited about that's a big piece and it's gonna be glow in the dark it's not gonna be like cat stuff because yours is like printed right it's like a print or, oh, it is painted too. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a a bunch of like glow powder and pigments and glow acrylic. How do you so when people want to buy your work, do they do they have to already I mean, do you sell it after you make it? So do they have an opportunity to buy it then or is it already sold before you? So uh what? sometimes it's sold before like a commission mm -hmm. or yeah. And then if they want to do a commission piece, they'll tell me like what colors. Right? Sure. So like this yeah. six foot piece, do people just need to be watching your Instagram? And then when you finish it, it's just a free for all. You're just like, whoever wants it, here it is. Um, Pretty much. Yeah. Oh, wow. So yeah. You just got to be quick on the draw. Yeah. Or people just come to me and it's just like a commission. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. You get a lot of that too, where people, yeah. so they have a specific design in mind or just color no, they choices. No, not. I make it very clear up front that I do what I want. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So do they have they any color set? Okay. And then that's it pretty much. I... I actually just worked with someone that was so specific about what she wanted. And I was just thinking, why did you come to me? Yeah. I've gone to somebody else. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I, I painted one time I did a space art. So we had, uh, the last time Kat was here, we had the staff all paint with 
cat or at least the people that that wanted to test their hand at painting mm -hmm. so i went out there and i tried to do one space image yeah. and it's like you know in the bottom of like a garbage bag where whatever liquid was in there all kind of pools at the bottom in this nasty brown that you know smells like death like <laughs> if you splattered that across a canvas that's how mine looked you know, oh, yeah, so it came nice. out. So it came out really nice. It's still for sale. It's like my oil, my first oil for piece. sale. <laughs> yeah, was it oil still... that you used? It was um, liquid garbage. Oh, yeah. I've yeah. Heard that. It's yeah. It's, it's interesting it's, medium. Interesting. It's medium. new. It's new. But I mean, I'm an innovator. Yeah. So I'm sure and, and environmentally friendly, it. too, because you're reusing. So it, that's good. it was about reusability. And um, yeah. yeah. And it's Recycle, like man. I said, it's still for sale. Honestly, someone will look at it and see something in it that you don't um because that's what art is <laughs> they see, probably yeah they see, i don't know there's much you can see in it but if anybody wants it you know i'm selling it it's uh twelve thousand dollars and okay. available oh. online yeah <laughs> <laughs> i signed cat's signature to it so it'll sell by tomorrow yeah. <laughs> that's smart that's really smart actually they're gonna be like what what is this? What constellation is this? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not a painter. Definitely not a painter. It's a, it's challenging. But we did get some really good ones. We have them up here in the office. I'll, I'll show them to you. But uh, the staff did a great job, you know, and painting that stuff is challenging. I didn't realize how many steps there are that go into making a space painting. I kind of thought it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to put white specks on there. We're going to have stars. And yeah. I was wrong. That's what I did. Oh, but I was wrong. Hey, you can just have a black background and specks. Mm, I'll show you the one I painted. I really want to see it. Yeah. I'm so curious. Yeah. Watch me really like it. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Here's 12K. <laughs> yeah. No. no. I would I would feel bad if anybody just like if they took it home with them for free, I'd feel bad. I'd be like, don't do that. Oh my god. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to take my trash out for me. <laughs> don't do that. My only foray into art was in the 70s when I was a kid, and they had black light stuff everywhere, right? So I got some black light paint Ooh. and a toothbrush, and I flicked it on top of my ceiling and turned on the black light and put on 70s music. That's and that amazing. Was, yeah, it was actually. It was. It, I was pretty impressed at how it came out. You could actually find some constellations in my random splatter. So here I am making fun of Jackson Pollock, and yet I... I, I I am channeling his spirit in on the ceiling of my teenage bedroom window. So I yeah. love that. I used to have my old bedroom used to be all glow in the dark and it was all galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> it was so sick. I had 3D glasses for people who would come in my room and everything would stick out at you. <laughs> all right. Well, that'll be it, I guess, for this <laughs> for this episode. Our guest was Lancia Mahalik. <laughs> uh, she is an artist and you can get her stuff on uh, Instagram at Lanchin Designs. You can also see her Etsy page of the same name as well as a YouTube channel just called Lanchin, I guess. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. So follow, subscribe and uh, and check out her stuff because uh, she's I've never heard of uh, of resin art. So I'm excited to, to see what that's all about. So thank you for taking time out to be in our show. I really, really was really interesting. Thank you for having me. And on behalf of Dustin Gibson, I'm Tony Darnell. And thank you all so much for listening. And as always, keep looking up. Space Junk is produced by Deep Astronomy and sponsored by OPT Telescopes in Carlsbad, California. Please visit our website at spacejunkpodcast.com. Also, please send any questions and comments or ideas for new episodes to spacejunk at deepastronomy.com. 